you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 tonight. And every time we talk about Hebrews, what's the first book uh, chapter you think about? 11. Everybody thinks about 11, the Hall of Faith chapter. That's where we, uh, we hear all about the Old Testament characters such as Abel, Enoch, and Noah, and, and Abraham, and Moses, and, and Samson, and all those uh, saints that we all thank God for, that they walked in faith and everything. But I really think that Paul, who I think wrote Hebrews, it's my opinion that he wrote it. I don't know for sure, but I don't know who God, who God wrote the book. But I think Paul is trying to sum up in chapter 10 what he's trying to say for the entire book of Hebrews. Paul's writing to a group of Jews in this book that is coming out of an Old Testament arena. They're moving into a New Testament arena. I understand that some of the verses and, and context of them have to do with doctoral applications to the saints. But I also believe that a lot of the book of Hebrews can be applied to you and I in the church age in which we live in today. Now, you got to think for an Old Testament Jew. you got, you got to put your mind in that. All their life they were told how to worship, where to worship, when to worship. They, you can't eat pork chops. There's only one God, and we believe in that. God, Jehovah, we believe in that. We, but his son came down and born of a virgin and died and suffered and bled and died on the cross. They didn't know anything. They didn't know nothing about that. They didn't know that. In the Old Testament, they knew that a king was coming, and they weren't looking for a cross. They were looking for a king. The Jews in the Old Testament, they're holding to all that sanctification, that ordinance, that uh, earthly tabernacle they had. And Paul comes and tells them all that stuff that you've been doing, all that uh, uh, sacrifice, all, everything that you've been taught, everything that you're holding on to, all those rituals, all those traditions is, is no longer any good. All it was was a picture of the things to come. It, it shocked them. They said, wait a minute. It was tough for them. It's tough to give up traditions. You have traditions, I have traditions. It's tough for us to give up traditions. It's oftentimes tough to give up tradition, traditions for the truth. And that's what Paul was trying to tell them. But it's worth it. Paul said it's worth it. Here we find Paul tells the Jews about this. Who better than Paul? Paul said that about himself of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and a Hebrew of the Hebrews as a touching of the law of the Pharisees. And, and he said at Gamaliel's, uh, he knew what he was talking about. And now in chapter 10, he's telling these Jews there are things that God requires for justification and fellowship that is different than that in the Old Testament. He's trying to give them an idea of seeing things that's coming on. We see, he said, the atonement is required. And he said for the, in verse number 4, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they often year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Well, then they, they, for, for then when they would not cease to be offered because they worshiped once purged through the Though some should have no more conscience of sin, 
But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is, an, it is not possible that the blood of bulls of goats should take away sin. And all that blood that was shed in the Old Testament could not remove sin. It could not cover sin. But it only performed it for one year. It just covered up for one year. But every year they had to come back for a fresh remembrance of the sin. So there's an atonement that needs to be made for sin. Thank God our atonement has been made. And watch what the atonement required by God in verse 10. By the which we, will, we are sacrificed, sanctified through the offering of the blood of body of Jesus Christ once for all. There's no more need for sacrifice. There's no more need for the bullocks. There's no more need for the lambs. There's no more need uh, made for atonement made of it. it. It's once and once done. Satisfied has been satisfied the wrath of God by what Jesus Christ done at the cross of Calvary. Verse 14, for by one offering he had made perfect for every, for every ever them that are sanctified. Verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter, the, enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way which he hath concentrated for us through the veil that is Say his flesh. Paul is telling them all those Old Testament sacrifices are no longer needed. You don't need to do that. They're not required anymore. God has given us the ultimate sacrifice in his only begotten son. He was the lamb of God. He was the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He says that old stuff you've been used to no longer is required. But it was just a foreshadow, a taste of divine, of the glory of God's coming. It's just a shadow of the real thing that's coming down the road. Now, if a man wants to be just in the sight of God, it's not by the sacrifice once a year of blood, but it's because of what Christ did at the cross of Calvary. We've been redeemed to God because of His Son. Not through animals, not through man, but through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb. Somebody said this, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to trust Jesus Christ. If you want to go to hell, we'll just trust anything you want to trust into. And it will get you there. We're going to have to trust Jesus Christ to shed blood to get us into heaven. Then we see the assurance of this requirement, verse 22 and 23. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Paul said there is an assurance now required in this walk of faith we have. I'm glad we have the assurance. We have received the atonement from the Lord. Now there is something that God expects and requires from you and I. And that is faith. He expects us to have faith. He said assurance of faith. Do you realize this when you study the Old Testament? When you look at the Old Testament versus the New Testament, faith is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. Now, the word faithful is mentioned a lot of times, but the word faith, and out of all the 240, 250 times it's mentioned in the Bible, only twice is it mentioned in the Old Testament. 
Why? Because back in the Old Testament, they walked by sight, not by faith. But we're commanded to walk by faith and not sight. They saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the manna come down from heaven. They saw the falls of the wall of Jericho. They saw dead people rise again. They saw signs and wonders. They seek signs and wonders in those days. When you and I are commanded to this as the New Testament, we're required not to walk by sight but by faith. The just shall live by faith. And walk by faith and not by sight. We're not looking for a sign, but we're listening for a sound. Amen. For a shout, we, we live by the word of the scriptures. We'll ever see a, you, if you never ever see a miracle, he's done all he needed to do for you and I. We're called to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you ever see anything done with your eyes, Paul said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Just giving you what Paul was saying in chapter 10 about what this New Testament is and how the Old Testament was. He's trying to bring these Old Testament Jews on board with what Christ has done for them. I believe we still need to understand what Christ has done for us. But that's not what I want to get to. I just thought I'd throw that out there to you today. Look at verse number 25. This is where I want to get at. Verse number 25. We've seen the assurance and we've seen the faith, but now there's assembly is required. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another in so much one more as you see the day approaching. This is one of the greatest verses in the New Testament about the assembling of the church. Preaching on this subject tonight, assembly required. It is required. <laughs> I mean, over the years, and I, some of y'all probably like me, over the years, uh, around Christmas time, your, your wife go out and buy Christmas gifts and wrap the boxes up and, uh, and have them sitting there. And when you get up in the morning, your kids open that box and it's not put together. You've got to put it together. It says on the box, assembly required. Now, I, I, I'm not one that you want to hand something say, here, and put this thing together. I'm not one like that. I'm not that kind of guy. But what they do, they would send you a, 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 a diagram and a list of all the parts that's in that box required to fix what you're posted to get out of that box. And I've set up many a nights trying to put something together that looked nothing like the picture on the box. I had problems. I'd get aggravated. I'd get mad. I'd get frustrated. I'd want to just throw the thing away. And then, and then when you finally get it to look in something resembling to the picture on the box, you got things left over. And I, in my mind, I think, I'm thinking, hey, they sent in extra parts. <laughs> they must knew I was getting this one. But there's some that would actually take and, and put the diagram in the box and give you a picture and give you a step by step by step. To, this part goes here. This part goes there. It, this part goes over here. Step by step. And they give you a final picture of what the product's supposed to look like. And it makes it very easy for you to put that thing together because they tell you step by step by step. 
You know what I found out? The church has got a book the same way. The, the church has got a diagram. If the church is going to work right, if the assembly in the church is going to be effective, assembly is required. It's required. When you get one of those gifts, the assembly is required, it's hard. But the church has an instruction manual. The Bible tells us what we're supposed to do today. It gives us a picture of what the church is supposed to be like. It, it gives us a picture of how we're to act. Uh, it gives a picture on how the preacher should act. It gives a picture on how the, the people should act. It gives us a picture on how we're to live our lives. It is our manual. It is our, a book that we go by. Can I say this? The church ain't going to put itself together. It's not going to put itself together. It's requiring every one of us to do our part in the assembling of the church. To make sure the assembly comes together like it should, each one of us has to do our part. I have tried this year to encourage you to get closer to God, walk to God, and say you're in good hands and talk about all the good things that God has done for us. Trying to get you encouraged to get closer to God into the Word of God. We fight. We fight this war. We fight this battle with the flesh. We fight this battle with the devil. But this book will help you to overcome. If you take this book and let it uh, uh, absorb in your life, it will give you instructions on how to overcome the world. It will give you instructions on how to overcome the devil. I want to encourage you to be faithful to the house of God. There is some assembly required in the church today. You know why many churches uh, don't come to be what they should be? Because they don't follow the directions in the manual. They don't follow the directions in the manual. The only way that it can come together like it should is to follow the direction. It's funny that people will say, I love the church, but only show up once in a while. I really love the church, but they only hear certain days. You're not doing your part if you're not at the church every time the doors open. You're not helping the assembly. Here in the text, we are commanded. Just like any other command, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. Being a Christian without going to the house of God is like being married and not going home to your spouse. Amen. Amen. You must come to the house of God if you're a Christian. You must walk in hell. I believe that we live in a day where people uh, think it's not a requirement, just optional to come to church. Amen. It's become optional. But I believe if you read the Bible, you'll see that it's not optional, but it's highly important that you and I, when it comes to the house of God, a Christian life, that we assemble ourselves together. There's some assembly required in the house of God. Let me give you three quick things about why it's important to have yourself in the house of God. Why it's important for us to, to assemble ourselves. First of all, spiritual health. Spiritual health. 
If you would Google on how to get in physical shape, now I've done this many a times. I'd Google, what does it take to get in good physical shape? And I've Googled just about every site there is on how to get in good shape. But I find out when you print out all those lists of things that tell you did the top two things on every one of them's list does not change. You got to have the right nutrition and you got to exercise. Well, I flunked that. Unless you can consider ice cream as a good nutrition, because I certainly ain't going to exercise. I'll have to bow my head down and say, excuse me, I failed on that. But if you Google it, the only way that you can get in good shape is to put in the right nutrients and put in the right amount and also expel the right amount energy to get where you need to be at. It's spiritual help. You come to the house of God. We have the book. The Bible says this is the honey. This is the water. This is the meat. This is the bread. It is spiritual food that put in your body. And when you put it in the body, then it helps you to expel those things that need to be spelled out of your life and gives you energy. And it helps each and every one of us to grow together. But you've got to put the right thing in. You ever, you ever heard that term, you are what you eat? For the last month and a half, I've been a nutty buddy. I've been tearing them things up. I ran out today. Praise the Lord. Now I got me some chocolate mules. <laughs> but you are what you eat. If you're putting in garbage, you're going to get out garbage. We've heard that over and over. If you're not taking in the Word of God and, and digesting the Word of God, it is the milk, it is the honey, it's the bread, it's everything that we need in our life. And you must have put it in your life in order for us to grow what God wants us to be and expand the energy in doing things for God. I, you don't need less church. You need more church. We talked about it. I've seen churches now are going to one service a week. I can't do that. You know, I thank God for Zoom because when you can't get out, you can't get in. But Lord, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I need people. I need to be fellowshipping. I need you around me. I draw encouragement from those in the house of God. I can't get that sitting at home by myself. We got You don't need less of church. You need more church every day. And let me just say this, you can't feed people that don't want to get fed. Amen. Hey, I'm telling you, there are people that only come to church when they want to on certain days, certain times. But you can't feed people that don't want to come to church to get fed. Amen. There is an assembly required. You've got a part that you've got to do. If you say I'm a part of the church, then there's something that you've got to do in order to get something out of the church. You've got to put something into the church. You've got to be faithful to the house of God. Must be faithful to the house of God. There have been times I said, Lord, study the message, study the scriptures, and said, Lord, this is going to help somebody. This is going to help somebody. Then you come to church 
half the people are gone. You get, you get discouraged. Because you know, Lord, I, the message, I know it's going to help somebody when you preach it. And I, I get ready to go home and I said, Lord, that helped me. That helped me. You got to, has to be some exercise. How, how do you exercise in church? There you go. There you go. Get the heavy exercise when you get down on your knees. Get the heavy exercise. It's that spiritual exercise. Paul said, exercise thyself ready unto godliness, good, uh, godliness, but in godliness is profitable unto all things, having promised the life now that is and of that which is to come. He said, for bodily exercise profit little. But what profits a whole lot is when you and I get into place, start sharing what God has done. We start eating from the Word of God and getting that spiritual Word of God, and we start worshiping. God starts uh, moving, and, and we start lifting the burdens off each other, and we start carrying each other's burdens. It makes a difference in our life. It's impossible to have the right kind of relationship with God and not have the right kind of relationship with the house of God. I miss church when I'm not here. Even when I go on vacation, when I go, I'm in church somewhere. Now I've been in some churches I like, whew, I don't know about that. I've been in some of those. But we come to church for spiritual health. We also come to church for social health. Verse 24 and 25, let us consider one another to provoke unto the love and the good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but is exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Underline that as you see the day approaching. In both verses, he said this phrase, one another. You know, the main benefit of assembling with the church is to give, not just to give us spiritual health, but social health. He said in verse 24, let us consider one another. Being considerate, thinking of another, thinking of others. What are we to be considering? He told us right here to provoke unto love and the good works. That word provoke means to push. Pushing one another to love God more. Pushing one another to live for God more. He says, we want to provoke you. We're in the house here of God and we're pushing each other uh, to love Jesus more, to live for Jesus more, to work for Jesus more. We're pushing. That's why some people don't like coming to the house of God because when you come here, somebody starts pushing you to do something great for God, start pushing you to move towards God. They don't like that. They want to come to the old ship of Zion and sit down and get a good ride, but they don't want nobody to push him to move closer to God. That's why you don't see people come here that often. Because as soon as you start pushing, they start leaving. But we're to push each other, to provoke each other, to move and live for God more each day. I want to live more for God today than I did yesterday and more tomorrow than I did today. I want to love God more tomorrow than I did today. And that's where we get it at in church when we push and encourage each other. Provoking. Provoking. You're not, if you're here 
And you don't want to be in a church that pushes you, you need to find another church. We're not going to pamper you. We're not going to pacify you. We're not going to pet you. But we're going to push and pull you. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. I'm tired of walking on eggshells. I'm tired of saying I can't say this or I can't say it. You get over it. You just get over it. Amen. I'm just telling you, we've had people come up to me. I didn't like what you say. I don't care no more. I don't care. It's in the word of God. You deal with it. Let God deal with your heart. I'm not going to pamper you. I'm not going to pet you. I'm just going to tell you what God said. And if you want to come here, we're going to provoke you to love God more than you ever did before. That's what we are here. We're to exhort each other. Amen. Provoking is pushing, exhorting is pulling. That means you grab somebody that's led, somebody that's weary, somebody that's been going through a trial, somebody's been going through a trial. That's when you grab them by the hand. You say, come on, I'm going to help you. I'm going to drag you with me. I'm going to pull you with me. I'm not going to let you fall down. I'm going to be right. You're exhorting and you're helping them out. You encourage them to keep going and going for God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're not to come to church to shoot people. Amen. I know, boy, I can tell you, I, I know some preachers, boy, let me tell you. You get on the wrong side, you're on the wrong side. You're on the wrong side, I'm just telling you. But they're, they're supposed to encourage people. I don't care what you're going through, what I'm going through. If somebody is needing help uh, and somebody needs an encouragement, that's what the church is supposed to do. Lay aside your feelings. Lay aside your thoughts. Uh, lay aside what you feel. Look at that person that says a brother or sister in need. And God has commanded us to exhort and provoke each other to the love of God. Why would you kick somebody when they're down? Of course, people don't like to be pushed and pulled. They don't like that. We're to exhort one another. When it comes to these young ones, we need to teach them. You need to teach them. Because if God tarries, a lot of us are not going to be here. Spiritual health. Social help. And it's, it's required for strengthening hope. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as this manner of some is. Can I say this before I do anything else? There are those that will never do more, never be more faithful. It doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter how much you put poke them, how much you pull them, how much you prog them, they're not going to do no more than what they're doing right now. I, I pray all the time, Lord, make us, make, I make our people a lot more faithful. Move us to be more faithful, Lord. There are people that leave the church and sometimes they have, have a good excuse. I understand there are sometimes you leave a church, there is a good excuse. If the, church is, if the preacher is kicked back on what he believes, then I'd get out of there too. Amen. If they're preaching from the wrong Bible, I'd get out of there too. But there are too many people that slipped away from God. They just don't want to put up with what the Word of God says. They don't want it. They don't want that. 
And I thank those that are, well, I don't know why I'm on this horse. I'm waking until he bump, throws me off. But there are those that cause more harm in the church when they're not faithful to the house of God, don't believe the way you believe, and don't do the things you do. They're sitting in church and they're causing trouble. What they do, you see them start whispering in people's ears. Just, I've been there. I've been in that situation. They whisper in people's ears. Well, you know he did. You know what he said. You know what he. No, no, that ain't the way I took it. I took it. He meant this. There are those that cause more harm in the house of God that don't believe the word of God. Let me just say, if you got problems with what word of God says, you need to take it up with God. I'm just the one putting it in your mailbox. Don't blame me. Don't come out and shoot me. You don't like it? Take it up with God. I, I find I find people that use different logic at Walmart than they do the church. Amen. I mean, they'll go down at Walmart and all kinds of ungodly things going on. Well, that's just Walmart. Well, you come to church, they different logic. Well, I can't do that. Y'all not? Uh, uh-uh, uh, I can't do that like that. There's different logic. They, they have different logic between when it comes to sports, basketball, football, than they do church. Well, sports is good, and sports is supposed to help my child grow. Let me tell you what. Church is going to be the best thing for your child. It's going to help them grow. It's going to help them understand. And you know, sports is not bad. I, I like sports sometimes, but it should not take the place. I, I, wrote, I wrote this list down. Twelve reasons why I don't go to sports events anymore 12 reasons i wrote them back 12 reasons i i want you to listen to these 12 reasons because i've been given these 12 reasons myself first one the coach never visited me every time i go they ask for money i've been told that the people on my role not friendly The seats are uncomfortable. (laughs) The referees made a bad decision, and I'm not going back. Mm -mm -mm. I was sitting with a bunch of hypocrites. They had one jersey on rooting for another team. Mm. Some games went into overtime, and I got home late. Amen. Amen. The band played songs I've never heard before. Games are scheduled on the days that I get to sleep in or I run my errands on. <laughs> my, my parents took me to too many games when I was young. Now I don't like them. You ever been told that? <laughs> I read the book on sports. Now I know more than they do. Which book you're reading? I love it. I don't take my kids because I want them to choose what sports they like the best. We use different logic when it comes to everything in the world except the church. Now, I go to sporting events. I've gone to sporting events around here. Don't, this ain't keeping me out. I'm just telling you, these are some of the things that people have told me that the reason why they don't come to church. The reason why they won't come to church is because of these things. You can find any excuse to not to come to church, 
But the best use not to come to church is I need to be sitting there. If I'm sitting in church, I'm going to tell you what, we use different logic. And we never apply the same logic to the church as we do everything else in this world. Jesus, the devil knows what you need. He knows that you, you need Walmart, Walmart more than you need, those, and you need those games more than you need church. Because he figures if you get you out of church, he's won the battle. Yep. Yes, sir. A similar is required. This logic will give you a negative view point about the house of God and the people of God and the work of God. Then he said, but exhorting one another so much as the more. That means a greater degree. And he said, when you, are, when you are, we are to do more and more than what we're doing now. And I love that as you see the day approaching. What is the day approaching? That's the day of the Lord is coming. As we see that day approaching. I believe we're closer to the day than we've ever been. Just like you said. We're getting closer to the Lord we don't need less church. We need more church. I'm just like you in the flesh. I get weary. I get tired. I get wore out. But I find that if I come to the house of God, I get refreshed. I find that hey, I, I need the house of God. I need the presence of God. I need the fellowship of God's people. I need to be in the house of God. There's assembly needs to be required with the church. I understand that some people are only going to come to church where they want to come to church. But I need the church. I need the church. I need the assembly of the church. I need it in my life. In fact, it is my life. And I need it. I don't know about you, but 